G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. So I go in for this interview, and I think the interview goes pretty well. And at the end, they tell me to wait in the lobby. And wouldn't you know, the door on the opposite end of the lobby flies open, and walking right toward me is President Ronald Reagan himself. (laughs) This man was just leader of the free world. He's surrounded by United States Secret Service. I am sure they have no idea who I am or what I'm doing there. And I'm wondering, do I just sit still? What do I do? The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, can you imagine what it would be like to be in university and getting an opportunity to work for the person you admire the most? Well, that's exactly what happened to Peggy Grundy when she had the good fortune of being hired to work for former President Ronald Reagan in 1989. She's written about her experiences in her book, The President Will See You Now, my stories and lessons from Ronald Reagan's final years. Peggy is chatting with Eric Scadabo on the phone from her home in Los Angeles, California. Peggy Grandy, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on. Glad to have you with us, and we want to talk about your time serving with Ronald Reagan, but first we want to find out a little bit about your background and what led up to your working for the former president. Well, I consider myself one of the luckiest women in the world to have had an opportunity to serve that great man, and never could I have imagined I would cross paths with him, let alone serve him in such a close and long-time capacity, but I guess it starts with me being that kind of nerdy little kid who loves presidents and politics and government, and if you know anything about U.S. geography, I'm on the far west coast, and Washington, D.C. is on the far east coast, 3,000 miles away, and there was no chance that this little girl from Southern California was ever going to find her way to Washington, D.C. and be influenced by important people there, but my dad raised me to believe that somebody's got to have the job you want, and it might as well be you. So as I went through my life, I became a communications major in college. The great communicator himself, Ronald Reagan, was in the White House during those college years, and so I followed him not only from a political standpoint, but from an academic standpoint as well. And him as a person of faith, myself being raised in a Christian home as a person of faith to He was just the perfect convergence of everything I loved. And wouldn't you know, he leaves office in January of 1989. He comes back to the West Coast, which is where he had lived prior, and opens an office in Century City, which is in Southern California, right outside L.A., just a few miles from where I'm finishing college. (laughs) So I take a chance and write a letter to the office of Ronald Reagan, never expecting to even hear back from them. And wouldn't you know how surprised I was to get a call, get invited in for an interview, and have the opportunity of a lifetime to even just interview, step foot on that floor of that office and interview for a job there. So this was just kind of a shot in the dark 
You just thought, well, I'll give it, it a was, shot. It was. And, you know, I just kept hearing my dad's words over and over. Somebody's got to work there. It might as well be you. And, you know, if we believe in being people of destiny and God chooses our path, I just felt like there was a chance that this path could open up before me. And so I go to this interview, and you have to realize I, I grew up in a very middle-class family. My family, they were all educators, teachers, and administrators in the school system. And so I had had no contact at all with the political world. So I go in for this interview, and this is kind of embarrassing, but I wrote about it in my book, so I've had to get over my embarrassment. (laughs) (laughs) I go in for this interview, and I think the interview goes pretty well, and at the end, they tell me to wait in the um, lobby for parking validations, because L.A. is a big city. The parking lots are expensive. Um, and so I'm wait- sitting there waiting for them to come and validate my parking. And wouldn't you know, the door on the opposite end of the lobby flies open, and walking right toward me is President Ronald Reagan himself. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm overcome with not only being thrilled, but also terrified. This man was just leader of the free world. He's surrounded by United States Secret Service. I am sure they have no idea who I am or what I'm doing there, and I'm wondering, are they going to arrest me? Are they going to shoot me? I don't know what to do. Do I run and hide? Do I just sit still? What do I do? So I kind of panicked, but I thought about, well, what would I do out of respect if the flag were passing by, for instance? And so I stand up. I put my hand over my heart and kind of stare off into the distance. I don't even look at him because I want to be very non-threatening and know, you know, so that they know I mean no harm. <laughs> and typical Ronald Reagan, just a wonderful person that he was, he walks right over to me. He looks me in the eye and shakes my hand. And, of course, he needed no introduction, but I introduced myself to him. And just the magic of that moment, as embarrassed as I was, um, what a wonderful moment to look into those bright blue eyes and to see that that smile on his face and the joy in his steps and to meet that man I had admired from afar for so long was truly a magical moment. So you're right out of university at this point, is that right? I'm actually still in university. I have one semester left um, and I was applying for an internship that I could do my final semester to not only work there but also get some college credit in order to finish up. So um, after that embarrassing meeting, the president leaves. The woman who had interviewed me comes in, and she's kind of laughing because she's watched this whole thing play <laughs> out. And she says, isn't it wonderful meeting him for the first time? And I think, you should have warned me. And she said, no, no, it's much better this way. <laughs> and though I was embarrassed, I, I had to agree because time and time again, then over the next 10 years, I could understand how people felt when they met him for the first time in such a surprising moment. Um, but she told me that day, she said, we were going to wait to call you until, um, you know, another day or two to leave you hanging in suspense, but we already know we want you to work here, so can you start on Monday? I mean, what an incredible moment. I had no idea what the next week or the next years would hold, but I knew without a doubt that my life had already been impacted and changed by that man. So I was hired basically on the spot for what I thought would be a short-term internship. Mm-hmm. Um, I served as an intern, basically a volunteer in the office, until I graduated college a few months later. Um, at that point, I was offered a full-time staff position, serving as the executive assistant to the chief of staff, who now has gone on to be the publisher of the Washington Post. So oh, wow. somebody I definitely learned a lot from. Yeah. Um, and then after serving him for just a few short years, Ronald Reagan's executive assistant he had had since before he was governor retired, and they asked me to take that job. So you don't say no to a job opportunity like that, although at the time I was six months pregnant with my first baby and wasn't quite sure how I was going to navigate that that juggle of life. Um, But 
I did serve him for the next 10 years, so from 1989, right after he left the White House, until mm-hmm. 1999, when he left the public eye. During that time, I got married. I had three of my four children, and so you can imagine the juggle of life that ensued over that next decade. But what an incredible honor, and what a wonderful man to learn from in such a close proximity. Wow, what an opportunity. Now, if I understand this, this was kind of like your entry-level position, that's correct, yeah. And so, if anything, I could only have imagined being a volunteer in the office for a few months and then yeah. graduating and trying to figure out what I was going to do next with my life. Um, it would look good the on the resume. To, yeah, it did not look bad on a resume, that's for sure. I never could have imagined that an ordinary girl from Southern California could be dropped into a place to serve such an extraordinary man who not only impacted our nation, but in many ways changed the world for the better. Now, I have to admit, I am completely ignorant of what is the life of an ex-president. I mean, do they just sit on the couch and watch TV? Or, you know, why did, they, why did he even need an executive assistant? Please help me out here. Yeah, you know, and I know every country is a little bit different. In America, we have an expectation that our presidents will not only be taken care of a little bit to thank mm-hmm. them for their service, and so they are given a limited stipend to set up an office to continue with correspondence and speaking engagements and still be engaged in the conversations of the day. We have an expectation that after they've served that they won't just, you know, ride off to the ranch, as Reagan (laughs) probably may have preferred to do, uh, but that they'll still stay engaged, accessible, and available to the people who elected them. Um, But from there, every president has a different way of doing it. A lot of it depends on their age. When they leave the presidency, you know, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama have left the presidency at a fairly young age. Ronald Reagan was quite elderly when he left office. Yeah, how old was he when he left office? Well, this is amazing because, you know, a lot of people think once they hit their 50s, they're kind of cruising in cruise control. By the time they hit their 60s, they are looking for the exit from the workforce. Ronald Reagan ran for office when he was 69 and 70 years old. And he, before Donald Trump, he was the oldest serving president. Um, And so by the time he left office, he was pushing 80 years old, and he continued to come to the office for the next decade until he was almost 90. Wow. He truly enjoyed it, and he came in every day with a smile on his face and a skip in his step, and his days were, you know, they varied. So he did a lot of reading, he did a lot of writing, he did a lot of media still, taped um, videos and opinion pieces and um, public service announcements. He was very involved in the Republican Party, um, advocating for candidates and for issues that he believed in, and then really spent a lot of time of his day as well with correspondence with people that he had been connected with over the years and receiving people in his office. And so everybody, you know, from world leaders to ordinary citizens who had written in wanting a chance to thank him for what he had done for them, for their business, um, for the economy. And so every day was a little bit different. But, yes, he did definitely need a staff, but he had gone from a staff of hundreds to just a handful of us post-presidency. And so it was quite a big job, and he did stay very active, even though he was quite elderly at Mm. the time, even when I started working for him, let alone 10 years later. Yeah. So tell us about the time he met Gorbachev. Well, Gorbachev really does have that big purple birthmark on his head, and I guess that was the first noticeable thing. Um, It was really wonderful to watch his interactions with Reagan, because the way he would look at President Reagan, it was almost with this, this curiosity. He was so 
amused by Ronald Reagan. And, you know, here are two people that probably had such different lives and yet were able to come together with a common respect and, and really develop a, a very nice friendship post-presidency. Um, Ronald Reagan had him up to the library, had him up to the office, um, took him even up to his ranch up um, oh, wow. a little north of his office. And so they went out there and rode, drove his Jeep around, you know, the dusty roads of the ranch and mm. things. And so they really did have a nice friendship. And it was one of many, over the years, pinch-me moments where yeah. you're standing in the background. I'm looking at them through the lens of the camera because I took most of Reagan's pictures post-presidency and thinking, is this really happening? <laughs> I mean, this cannot yeah. be real. Here I am behind the camera taking pictures of Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev. This just cannot be real. <laughs> wow, what an experience. Yeah. And then people like Margaret Thatcher, who he was very close with. Um, they had a wonderful relationship. Of course, they loved to talk politics, but Margaret Thatcher was actually very funny and had a very dry, witty sense of humor. And she had this way of, in her very proper voice, saying something under her breath, and Ronald Reagan would just bust up laughing. <laughs> she knew she knew how to get him laughing, and he knew how to get her, too, but they just really had a warm and wonderful friendship. And so it was great to see people at that level be real people. And again, I guess as a young person, I thought diplomacy is something that's very formal and rigid and laid out by the State Department or the Office of Protocol. And Instead, I saw diplomacy, Ronald Reagan's way, really was all about relationships, not about rhetoric, and it was very personal, not political. And so to watch these people come from all over the world, post-presidency, when they didn't have to for diplomatic or protocol reasons, they came because they wanted to, they had a friendship and a relationship with Ronald Reagan that they wanted to continue, um, really made an impact, again, on me as a young person thinking, okay, diplomacy is not all about the formality, it's really about friendship. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Peggy Grundy, author of the book, The President Will See You Now, My Stories and Lessons from Ronald Reagan's Final Years. We'll hear more of her reflections when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Today, author Peggy Grundy is reflecting back on her time working for former president Ronald Reagan. Peggy served as the executive assistant to Ronald Reagan from 1989 to 1999 and had a front row seat to many of his meetings with world leaders. Next, she'll share about Ronald Reagan's faith, both in the early years of his life and at the end of his life. Fortunately for us, Ronald Reagan was raised by a woman, his mother, Nellie Reagan, who was an incredible woman of faith. And Mm -hmm. we picture Ronald Reagan on the world stage, but if you know anything about his upbringing, you probably would never have been able to trace the dots from where he started to where he wound up. He was born in the middle of the heartland of the United States in a little small town during the Great Depression. His father was an alcoholic. His family was very poor. And if you looked at where he started, you would have thought, oh, this poor
poor kid will never have a chance to amount to anything. Hmm. And yet he was raised by a mother who was an incredible woman of faith who taught him to believe that God has a plan for everything and everyone, and in the end it will all work out. And so he was really raised with this faith-based optimism. Um, His mother was very involved in serving everybody from prisoners to, at the time when the country was so racially divided, um, she would welcome people of color into their home. Um, And so she was very philanthropic, but did it in the name of Jesus. She led Bible studies. She was very involved in um, their church and Mm -hmm. definitely is the one who brought Ronald Reagan to faith. Um, They were involved together in what they called readings at the church, which were kind of like these theatrical play, almost versions of reading scripture and telling stories of the Bible. And so that was really his first foray into acting and speaking in the church due to the influence of his mother. The church faith that he grew up in was called Disciples of Christ, Mm -hmm. um, and so was very devout and very diligent to attend and read scripture, and that continued throughout his life. Um, From the Midwest, he came west to Hollywood, and you may know he was an actor in Mm -hmm. Hollywood. He was president of the Screen Actors Guild, which was one of his first opportunities to really have a leadership position and negotiating with the unions and things like that. But again, you know, continued to be an active member in the community of faith out here. Um, and then went on to be governor of California, and then ultimately president of the United States. And as president, there were so many things he did to infuse his decisions with faith. He was very involved. Um, Billy Graham was a good friend of his. Mm -hmm, He attended church when he could, definitely prayed and read scripture regularly. And what I always appreciated is that he was never shy about sharing his faith or saying that, you know, the reason that he was making this decision was because that was in alignment with what he believed um, was Mm -hmm. what what God's plan was for his life. But he, he never was judgmental toward others and believed that in America, especially, we had the freedom to worship as we chose or had the freedom to not worship Mm -hmm. if we didn't choose to. And so he was never condemning toward others, but always was, um, at the same time, never apologetic about what he believed and why he believed it as well, and did a lot of great things to advance the voice and the causes of Christianity um, in America during the 1980s. And, of course, he's famous for being pro-life. Absolutely, and was unapologetic about that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in typical Ronald Reagan way, uh, he always made the point in a way that made people laugh. And so one of his famous lines, and I don't know it word for word, but in essence was, um, he said, I noticed that all the people who are pro-choice have already been born. (laughs) (laughs) You know, little things like that where it makes his point. He's not preaching at them, but he's, he's truly making the point. And exactly. he just had a wonderful way about it. And I think people, even who disagreed with him politically, couldn't help but like him personally. Mm-hmm. Take us to the last years of yeah. your time with him. You know, and that's where his faith became abundantly important. You know, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, he would have had the choice to maybe just go and live at his ranch, and maybe nobody would ever know about it, or they could speculate, but, um, you know, he, he would never confirm it. But that was not who Ronald Reagan was, and he wanted to use his own personal struggles um, to bring light and bring awareness and bring research monies and dollars to a cause that could hopefully help other people. And so he and Mrs. Reagan made the very difficult decision to go public with something that was very painful mm-hmm. and private. And, you know, we're so glad 
they did. I mean, at the time he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I remember scrambling trying to find any information. What is it? I mean, you, this was pre-Google. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Google now and have thousands of results come up. You know, I went to the library and there was one book about dementia or senility, but not mm. even about Alzheimer's. And so wow. it was something that the world didn't really know about until he brought it to life. And then that was a time that was very important for him to rely on his faith. And interestingly enough, you know, during those final years, I really felt like that was maybe the main reason that I was there. And all the years that I had been there prior were just, you know, the the warm-up for that final chapter um, when I would be called upon to, to really switch my relationship and my role with him. You know, he continued to go to church very faithfully on Sundays until he announced the Alzheimer's, and then the paparazzi would show up at church, Mm -hmm. and it was very disruptive. They would actually go into the church and take pictures of him in the pews of church, and it was just, it was inappropriate, but it was also very disruptive to Mm -hmm. the other parishioners, so the decision was made for him not to attend church anymore, which was horribly painful, especially at a time in his life when you know he needed that connection with the faith community. Um, So I reached out to his pastor and asked his pastor if he would come in every week or so and sit and pray with the president and read scripture with him. And so he would do that, and he'd bring in the church bulletin, and they'd sit there in the president's office, and he would give him a little vignette of the sermon and to just watch this, this beautiful exchange. You know, the cameras of the press weren't there. Nobody even knew that this was happening, but what a beautiful way for this man in his final years when he needed that connection with God to to have it brought to him in such a beautiful way. Um, Billy Graham came several times during his final years as well to mm-hmm. sit and pray with the president, and, you know, there were others in the community of faith that really supported him during that very difficult time. And he was such a man of faith that he believed that, you know, God had a plan for everything, mm-hmm. you know, back to his mother's words, and that even in this, everything would be okay if he just trusted Mm-hmm. which he did. And how did your time come to an end working with him? So I served him in the office from 1989 to 1999, and in the later months of 1999, the Alzheimer's had advanced to the point where he could no longer come to the office. And mm-hmm. so um, his needs were better met at home, and so the decision was made for him not to come to the office anymore. Um, by that time, I had three little kids. I lived over an hour away because we had just moved to a neighborhood where the kids could go to a nice little neighborhood school. Um, and so I didn't need to push papers for the government anymore. I had been there for that man, and mm-hmm. that was had been my purpose. And so I decided to, I like to say I retired, you know, at the ripe age of <laughs> like 31 or 32. <laughs> I retired from government service. But thankfully, uh, Mrs. Reagan had a very open-door policy. She was so wonderful and grateful for my service to her husband and, you know, acknowledged the wonderful relationship we had. And so she had a very open door. So during the next five years until he passed away, she was terrific about um, letting me come up and visit him. And so I'd go up and sit with him and, you know, talk with him. Sometimes I'd bring the kids and just continue to share life with him up until the very end of his life. Um, he passed away in June of 2004. Um, Mrs. Reagan actually lived for another 12 years, and she passed away early in 2016. And even after the president passed away, Mrs. Reagan was wonderful about letting me come up still to visit with her. And I got to visit with both President Reagan and Mrs. Reagan within a few months of each one of their passings. Mm. And so 
what an incredible experience. And, yeah. You know, looking back, that was 27 years of my life from the first meeting of Ronald Reagan to my last visit with Mrs. Reagan, and never could I have imagined how my life would be changed and impacted in beautiful and wonderful ways by those incredible people. Wow, what an experience. And the title of your book is The President Will See You Now, My Stories and Lessons from Ronald Reagan's Final Years. Let's talk about some of the lessons you learned from him. Yeah. You know, people look, especially people of faith, often look at the toxicity of politics and Mm. think, that's not for me, I want no part of that. And I guess I appreciated the fact that here was a man of incredible faith, who felt that this was the arena that God had called him to, and so he was going to serve that out faithfully, and he did that. And so for me as a Christian who has been in a political arena (laughs) for several decades Mm. now, um, how inspiring it is to see that somebody can not only do that, but do that well and Mm. continue to be a person of faith. You know, one of my favorite um, quotes that he said was one of his last public speeches that he gave. It was in 1992 at one of our big Republican national conventions, and I'll paraphrase, but in essence he says, whatever else history may say about me when I'm gone, I hope it will say that I appeal to your best hopes and to your wildest, fondest dreams, not to your doubts and to your fears. Hmm. And so much of politics today, so much of our world today, what do we do? We divide, we appeal to doubt, we appeal to fear. But if we as people of faith especially those who are engaged in civics or politics or positions of influence, can try to appeal to the best hopes and to the best dreams of others, I think that we will see a turnaround, we'll see an optimism, we'll see a vision for the future that can be better than where we're at, and Ronald Reagan certainly taught me that. Wow, well, that's quite a lesson to learn. He was a wonderful teacher, and I feel very fortunate to have sat at his feet for over a decade and to learn from him, not by him preaching at me, but just by how he lived his life and watching him, observing him, listening to the language he used, the way he interacted with people, um, and the beautiful legacy that he wrote with every single day of his life. You know, we're not still talking about him all these years later because he's gone, We're talking about him because of how he lived. And so I guess the challenge I would have to everybody is, you know, to think about the fact that your legacy is not something that's written after you're gone. It's something that we're already writing right now with every single day of our life. And Mm. so is the legacy we're writing right now with our life something that we want to be told when we're gone? And if that thought frightens you, (laughs) it's never too late. We can start writing a new legacy for our life today. That's right. And are we writing one that's optimistic, that's positive, that's faithful, um, that is not polluting and making toxic the environment around us, but is infusing it with faith and goodness and things of God? And I believe we can do that even in the political arena, and Reagan showed us beautifully how to do that. Amen. What a lesson to learn. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Peggy Grundy, author of the book, The President Will See You Now, My Stories and Lessons from Ronald Reagan's Final Years. And it was great to hear that despite having huge success in his life and being a historic world leader, Ronald Reagan still relied on the simple faith that his mother imparted to him when he was just a child. And that faith guided and comforted him into his final years. As we heard, one of the traits Peggy admired most about Ronald Reagan was his eternal optimism and positive attitude, a trait best captured in the Bible verse in Joshua that says, Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go.
To learn more about Peggy Grundy and her book, her website is PeggyGrundy.com. That's Peggy Grundy, G-R-A-N-D-E. Com. Well, thanks for joining us for Peggy's reflections on the life and faith of former United States President Ronald Reagan. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. The reason that we left our country is because there was the civil war between the tribe of the Hutu and also the Tutsi. So in the camp, in a refugee camp in Tanzania, there were the Hutu and also the Tutsi. So sometimes because I am mixed blood. So if you are mixed blood, you were rejected by both sides. So it was a very easy to be targeted by both sides. Jean-Claude was born in Burundi, Africa in 1979 and spent time in a refugee camp in Tanzania before arriving in Australia in 2004. While here, he became a pastor, and despite the persecution and hardships he experienced growing up, he felt led to go back to Africa. We'll hear Jean-Claude's incredible story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.